0: Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries.
1: Welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, your host, and I'm here with uh, Scott Rahe, and we're having a conversation about the uh, reliability, historic reliability of, of the biblical text, so uh, this is, I think, uh, about the third conversation. About, about the, the third, yeah, yet. I think that's that, about that right that we've had on this particular topic. So, um, Scott, kick us off.
2: Yeah, and I started. I the last of part two. I said, that, you know, that we're going to jump into what's called the criteria of authenticity, and we are going to discuss that. But I'm going to put something else um, in front of it because I think it, it flows better. Because we talked about, you know, this idea of the original copies are gone, and how do scholars, you know. There, there are more errors in the New Testament than there are words in the New Testament. Is the way Bart Ehrman has said it, and you know, technically, I guess that's true. And um, is how, that how does he define error? I right, mean, that's it, the. It's exactly oh, the idea. you okay? You handled it perfectly. Okay. You took the cue I, I perfectly. Just, I just set that up. Yeah. Okay. So an error is basically an inconsistency within the New Testament, and we've mentioned in previous uh, conversation that if there weren't so many copies of the New Testament. I mean, it's 5,700 roughly ancient ones, and then you get into the Latin text, you know, you know, mm-hmm. got a few hundred years later, you've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these things. Yeah. There's, you've there's tens have, of thousands. I mean,
1: you've got to have some uh, differences there when you're – Yeah, you exactly.
2: Know, uh, anyway. So it's it just it's an inconsistency within the New Testament. Now, the, the authority that I use or the person that I rely on the most is um, – um, Dan Bruce. Wallace. Oh,
1: I thought you were going Because FF Bruce. FF Bruce is, 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 is doing a lot of yeah, work. Yeah, he was
2: my entry drug, you know, to, for lack of a yeah, better okay, term. Okay. He was the first guy that I read, yeah. and he got me sort of into that stuff. And his, I think it's called Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? Yes, is his yeah. book. It's a and little, it's very little, thin. Yeah,
1: a little paperback. Very yeah.
2: approachable, and it's also incredibly. Uh, valuable information in there. Um, So you're right. I I did start with that. But Dan Wallace, I've mentioned it before. He's actually debated by Bart Ehrman. They went on a debate cycle for a while. and um, He's considered one of the very top scholars alive today. And he's got an organization that goes around the world to these ancient medieval libraries and different places where ancient texts might be found. And they're constantly finding new copies of ancient texts. So the numbers, like this 5,700 number, goes up. And it's really, you know, he does a lot of work. You know, he teaches at, at least he used to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary. So he's got a book called Reinventing Jesus, where he talks about, you know, what are, what are errors? What does it mean by errors? And I, a lot of what I've got in here comes from that book, although I don't, I don't know if I've got any specific quotes. But the idea of an error is that it's an inconsistency in the New Testament. They are primarily minor in nature not affecting any core belief of christianity i'm you know I'm reading from some notes here and that's what that's what i think that one line it's an essential thing to to sort of hold on to because when people start talking about these errors we think of these errors as there's 200 300 400,000 errors well that makes it impossible to know what the original text is right most of these errors are so minor that it's 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 very easy to see that it's an error and to know what the original text actually said. It might be a letter that's messed up in a word, and like oh well, that's clearly this word, but the you know the the letter was maybe written a different way or something like okay that's there's no there's no I wonder no if they had dyslexic people. I would scribes expect so. They might not have called time. it that, but yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are any disl I don't know it's a good yeah, question.
1: yeah because you know i if people look at my writing, they kind of look at that and go i, I was just taking a little note here and I put the n backwards exactly you, you know when you write the n it's uh well don't try to describe
2: that but anyway it
1: yeah. I, I, I could sometimes when I'm writing, I can't read my own I can't read my own writing yeah <laughs> so.
2: yeah no i yeah <laughs> I can't read my <clears> own <throat> either. And, better, I'm not and, and they had to
1: have people that had you know dyslexic brains that
2: yeah. back then. So yeah, they would fall asleep while they're writing, and they would somehow you know there are little mistakes that are introduced. So that's you know these sort of nonsense. It's not really nonsense, but it's they're not impactful. These right. errors are. Um, so there's a verse, and this is I'm, I'm taking this out of I think what Dan Wallace said, and, and he's he's in there. It says, consider Philippians four thirteen. Philippians 4:13 says I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the verse. Imagine that you've got 4 copies of that different ancient texts and in one of them the word everything the h is missing. And then in the next one the i so you know thing t h i the i is missing. The next one the n is missing and the last one the The E in everything is missing. Well, you can compare those and you can easily tell that it's the word everything. Right. But they would still count that as four errors. Does Uh, that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's no doubt what it is. Yeah. There's just no doubt what it is. And
1: so, you know, one of the things that I think about when I hear the word error, I'm automatically, my brain goes to, well, and and we've alluded to this, that. well, it's not right. It's just wrong. Right. And, and really, what I hear you describing is this isn't really anything about right or wrong. It's right. just they're not matching up as far as, um, like you said, there may be an eye missing. Right. But when you put – because there are so many copies, you put the others together. go, oh, okay, I know what the – I mean, yeah, the – the, the eye's gone. Okay. didn't right. change anything.
2: You're not surprised by it, and you can easily detect it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know what it really means yeah. here. Yeah. And the three most common, what they call textual variants, um, is a difference in word order, like the words might be reversed. Um, or there may be an extra word or an omission of a word, but it's not a word that changes the meaning of the sentence. Um, or there may be spelling differences. I think spelling differences are, are you know one of the most Um, one of the most common. Um, So this actually is from, I have a quote here. Let me just read this. If we have 999 copies that include one wording and a single copy that includes another, it is considered a textual variant. In fact, it's counted as 1,000 errors. And I don't think that can be overstated. If you have 999 copies that are exactly alike and one copy is different, they say that's 1,000 errors because all 1,000 have to agree in order so if you have 5700 copies ah, okay and yeah. all of them agree besides one well we just got 5700 errors and that's why these numbers grow so rapidly it's not because there are this there's this massive number of errors it's just that the way they count them the way they analyze them what they mean so a, a layperson coming along is like wow that's that's yeah that that's, sounds you know, that does sound terrible. misleading it's very misleading because i would think
1: well if you said there's uh, 50000 errors then I'm thinking every one of them has got something different
2: wrong with it. That's right. That's exactly right. Now here's a quote by um, this is I don't know who who said this, but it's a co-authored book. The book is called Dethroning Jesus, um, and it was written by Dan Wallace and uh, uh, one of his colleagues named Daryl Bach. They both teach, or at least they used to teach uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And the quote says, "The only reason we could have hundreds of thousands of differences among the Greek manuscripts." ancient translations and patristic commentaries is that we have tens of thousands of such documents like i said before if we just had one copy of say the the gospel of luke you couldn't have any errors in it because you just have yeah, one copy yeah, there's have nothing have for compared right yeah yeah so yeah. It, the fact that we have so many and, is a good thing and it's but it you know on the surface it makes these numbers go up
1: yeah i, I can imagine them well we have um Ten errors in the works of Caesar. Well, we only have ten copies. Right,
2: <laughs> right, exactly. It's <laughs> exactly right. There's no errors in here. Well, you only have one. Of course, you don't have any. So th- there are some mm-hmm. examples I want to give here, real quick. Um, this is different types of textual variants. In um, let's see, what the first one is. First, Thess- uh, first Thessalonians two, uh, chapter two, verse seven. And the verse reads, But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. And the word gentle, one of the manuscripts that they have, the word gentle has been misspelled, and it's changed into the Greek word for horse, or horses. So, they can look at that and say, well, we were gentle <laughs> among you with all these, but in one of them it says, we were horses among you. They can easily go, yeah, the horses is probably not the right yeah. translation. It's probably gentle. Right. So it's not something that challenges anybody, but it's there. Um, and it's counted for every, you know however many copies, it's all of the different er- um, variants. The next one, there are minor differences involving synonyms. Or things that do not affect the translation. In other words, no, no significant change to the text. And here's an example. Um, John 4, 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Some manuscripts say the Lord instead of Jesus. So the, it would read the the Pharisees heard that the Lord was gaining and baptizing more. Now, we know who the Lord means, and that doesn't mean that the the, the, the sentence means the same thing.
1: Yeah, and it, it doesn't change any. Doctrinal. Doesn't it doesn't change
2: anything. I mean, right. actually, that's a good point. I'll I'll mention it now. We'll, you know, I'll say it again probably in a minute. But of all of these variants, it's a better thing to say variant rather than error. Yeah, I, li- um, I li-
1: that. That's helpful.
2: Yeah, that's what Dan <laughs> Wallace. That's the word he uses. Um, None of them touch on any core doctrine of Christian faith. They're all these peripheral things, but mm-hmm. none of them are, are the nature of Jesus. Is you know the the you know, the great saved by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. None of that is is approached by any of these variants. So um, here's a third one, which he says that it would be meaningful, but not viable. So there are mean there are some small percentages, like around one or two percent, I think, that are considered um, meaningful, and Around that there are some that are considered viable differences And there are some that are both meaningful and viable So here's an example of one that is a meaningful difference But it's really not viable It doesn't seem to, you know It wouldn't, you know, make sense that it, if, um, Again, going to 1 Thessalonians 2.9 Whoever wrote 1 Thessalonians 2 made some mistakes uh, 2.9 Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship We worked night and day In order not to be a burden to anyone While we preached the gospel of God to you there's one late medieval manuscript that has Christ instead of God in there. Now, it's it's a mm. meaningful difference, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really change anything. Right, right. We believe Jesus is God. It doesn't really change anything. Here is a, here's an example of a meaningful and viable difference. In other words, it can change the meaning of the text to some degree. If it's meaningful and viable, it can change the text to some degree. Here's, it's Romans 5.1. Um, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some manuscripts read, um, let us have peace. Instead of we have peace, he's encouraging us to have peace. Instead of we already have it, or are we going to get it You know, at some point? And that's meaningful, and that's viable, but it doesn't really change the message of Romans. It doesn't bring into doubt whether or not Paul is saying one thing versus another in Romans. Um, and just just to repeat it, less than one percent of the textual variants are considered meaningful and viable. And I've heard, I mean, there are some words in the New Testament that they're not hundred percent sure what the original word was. I have heard, I, there's, I think there's 100, roughly 138,000 words in the New Testament, somewhere in that that range. And there's about, I, I want to say around 4,000 that they're just not a hundred percent sure. But of that four thousand, less than one percent of those are meaningful and viable. So, what is one percent of four thousand? Is less than four thousand. I shouldn't have said that. Um, well, see, ten percent would be four hundred. One percent would be about forty of them in there. No, four hundred. Yeah, that's about right. About forty of them or so. And um, boy, that's testing my math skills right there. Yeah. And Of those, none of them have anything to do with any core Christian document or document, doctrine. Um, So I think when you look at this, we have this vast number of early, very, very early documents, especially compared to other ancient documents. We have significantly more of them, so we can compare them and say, well, what does this one say? What does this one? And like you mentioned in the regionality of these things, all of these variants, well, they all. Come from this part of the world, so some scribe got some variant, and then that variant got into Egypt, for example, and suddenly all they all start copying there. So we can under we can trace yeah, kind of can see the, how they got there.
1: Yeah, it gave you know? a good. It, there's a uh, there's a pathway there.
2: Right, exactly. So critics have estimated that there are approximately 150 thousand errors in the New Testament. And this is a very generous number because you know Bart Ehrman will say it's upwards of 400,000 and you just can't count them. So you hear all kinds of different numbers, but Yeah, the, and see that's to me it's still that's that seems to be so misleading. That's right.
1: Without without see if you didn't have somebody that uh, has looked at this like yourself then you kind of go wow. I mean, I could see that would be very It would terrify
2: me. I'd run it well. And it had did it, it did that to me early on like oh my, I need to, you know, I wonder what this really means. Um, so, the vast majority of these are not meaningful. They're not viable. Um, uh, yeah, of the errors that are not accounted for by grammar, only 400 change the meaning of the passage in any way, and only 50 are of any real significance. Hey, that 1%, I got pretty close yeah. that I said 40 yeah. and it's 50. Yeah. So not even one affect an article of faith or a precept of duty which is not abundantly sustained by other and undoubted passages. That's a quote from I think from uh, Dan Wallace. We've already talked about these other documents, and so how do we compare the sort of certainty that we have with the New Testament with these other documents? Um, there's a there's a book in Hinduism called the I'm going to have to <laughs> I'm going to try here Mahabharata uh, Maha. <laughs> Mahabharata. That's probably how you said Mahabharata. Mahavita? Mahabharata. I think it's copied with roughly ninety percent accuracy. They believe it's about ninety percent accurate. Homer's Iliad is considered to be about ninety-five percent accurate. The New Testament is like ninety-nine point nine percent accurate, based on the, all the analysis that they've done to it. So this notion of you just can't know is crazy. Now I want to I want to bring up two other quick things. The first one is this idea of I hear this at times and people will say if you look in Luke you get a different story than if you look in Mark or if you look in Matthew or if you look in John. I think there's reasons for that because I think they're talking to different audiences and I think they're emphasizing different things that are meaningful to those audiences. But I think there's there's another I, I've read that, that there's another sort of advantage to that. And they talk about this idea of having multiple eyewitnesses to, say, a car accident today that go into testify oh, yeah. in court,
1: yeah. right? Okay, yeah.
2: If all of the witnesses that go in say word for word the exact thing, the conclusion by the court is that they have rehearsed their testimony and they've agreed on the testimony, and it's not actual testimony. It's a, It's an invention. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are slight differences – Enhances the believability of these accounts because they're not trying to get their story straight and be exactly yep. exactly alike. Yep. So I think that's a, it's a maybe it's a minor point, but I've heard it before, and I just wanted to mention that.
1: No, but I think it's a good one because I, I think when you you can kind of illustrate that there wasn't collaboration right. trying to you know back when you said uh, that you know there are those that believe that the the texts that we have were. Uh, inventions of the the right. uh, Catholic Church, or somebody body of people, then yeah, they wouldn't have done that. Right? Did, I mean, does that make sense?
2: No, that's exactly I right. Mean, and, and we'll get into that when we turn to the uh, the criteria of authenticity here in a few minutes, probably in the next podcast. But that's exactly where we're going with that. So I want to say one other quick thing. What's really interesting to me, and I mean, it was really impressive to me. Imagine for a second that every Bible, every ancient text, just disappears overnight. We don't have any of the Bibles, any of the modern ones, any of the ancient ones, and they're just gone. How would we know what the original texts say? Well, as it turns out, the church fathers, I'm talking about like uh, Irenaeus, uh, Irenaeus, Origen, all these ancient mm-hmm. you know Christian leaders, they quoted the New Testament so extensively. That there are only eleven verses in the New Testament that weren't quoted in one of these church fathers, so we could rebuild the New Testament just, just from, the, from the, quotes the quotes of the church, of the church fathers. fathers. We wouldn't have wow. to. There are over eighty-six thousand quotations from the New Testament that are known to exist today in their writings, and the quotations were written within one hundred and fifty to two hundred years of Jesus' death. So that's starting around one hundred A.D. Yeah, or one hundred and fifty A.D. around that time.
1: And we got a you know a thousand years between. Caesar or fifteen hundred yeah, or whatever either. exactly, and we trust
2: Caesar's writings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I've yeah. read one of his books; it's a good book. You know, it's, you know, I didn't think to myself, "I bet this wasn't Caesar." I think I read what he wrote, generally speaking. So, let's turn the next time to these criteria of authenticity, um, and I think we'll be able to spend some time on that because what we're going to do is we're going to look into the text itself, and we're going to say, "Is there any?" Hallmarks in the text itself that would lead us to believe that what we're seeing um, was written by people that are trying to tell the truth. In other words, are they trying to make something up? Or are they just trying to invent something? You, I've mentioned this to you mm-hmm. before. I've had the skeptics come to me and say, "Hey, Spider-Man takes place in New York, and there's events in New York that are real, so Spider-Man's real." And you just kind of shake your head about that and think, how on earth am I going to persuade somebody that is that non-serious? Yeah. But it's out there. And they'll say that the Bible has – it's a fictional account developed and just made up. It's just you know this idea mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church crafting it to control people. And if it is made up, it's going to be written in a particular way. If it's not made up, you're going to see certain sort of f- uh, uh, footprints in the text that say, I bet you, you wouldn't have done that if you were making something yeah. up. And so yeah. let's talk about that the next time. Yeah. Good. Look forward to it. I'll be here.
0: You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled, caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. For questions and comments, email galen at Ministries.net. That's G-A-L-O-N at Ministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.